All right, Romans chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to hear from your word. I pray, God, you would open up our minds, help us to understand your word and our heart to obey your word. We look to you, Father. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And, and Lord, you cause us to persevere in the faith by the knowledge of your word and the presence of the Spirit of God in our life. And the reality of prayer that we can go to your throne of grace. We're such a needy people. I pray, God, that you would glorify yourself in this time around your word and around the table of the Lord. And I pray you would glorify yourself, Lord, with the sacrifice of our life. As we offer ourselves up, Lord, to you, our mind and our body to do, Lord, what you would do through us to further the kingdom of God. So now, Lord, just quiet our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we can take in this word from the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't believe that we're going to complete Romans chapter 15 today. Some of you have been with me ever since this book was written in 57 AD. And we're nearing the end of that long journey. It actually was written in 57 AD from the city of Corinth. Paul wrote four epistles during his first Roman confinement. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. But before his journey to Rome and his ultimate goal, desire to go to Spain, Paul, we saw last week, had another trip to take in verse 25 of Romans 15. He wanted to go to Jerusalem with a financial offering that he had collected from the churches of Macedonia and uh, Acacia. Verse 25, now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased them from Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. In verse 30, now, jump down to verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers, plural, to God for me. So this message I've titled, A Plea for Prayer. A Plea for Prayer. Charles Spurgeon knew the power of prayer and the need for prayer. When asked the secret of his influential preaching ministry, Charles Spurgeon frequently responded, my people pray for me. What a blessing for a pastor to have people pray for him. He says to make prayer of any value, there should be definite objects for which to plead. 
My brethren, we often ramble in our prayers after this, that, and the other. And we get nothing because in each we do not really desire anything. Do not merely plead with God for sinners in general, but always mention some in particular. If you are a Sunday school teacher, don't simply ask that your class may be blessed, but pray for your children definitely by name before the Most High. And if there be mercy in your household that you crave, don't go in a roundabout way, but be simple and direct in your pleadings with God. The secret to, an, to the incredible and productive life that the Apostle Paul lived was his prayer life. E.M. Bounds, who wrote nine books on prayer back in the Civil War era when the fabric of our country was being torn apart, he wrote, The story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. And every mighty move of the Spirit of God had its source in the prayer chamber. It all begins in the prayer closet, in your home, in the church prayer meetings. It's the secret to unleashing the power of God. If you study the life of the Apostle Paul, you will find 42 prayers that he prayed. Some very short, short as grace be with you all, and some much more lengthy. We want, read one earlier in Ephesians 6. And just in the book of Romans thus far, let me take you through a couple of his thoughts about prayer. Romans 1, 8 through 10. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayer at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So he spoke about prayer in general, prayers in general, and then very specifically of his desire to go and be with them in Rome. In Romans 10.1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. There's a prayer for salvation for his countrymen. Because they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he wanted them to come to know the knowledge of God in salvation by Jesus Christ. In 12.12, he says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Are you faithful in prayer? Romans 15, 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you, here's the prayer, to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a prayer for unity in the church. And we need to always pray for that. Because whenever, whenever God is doing something, Satan is trying very hard to dismantle it, to tear it apart, to bring it down. 
chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with, with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Very definite prayer that they would come to know the joy of the Lord, the peace of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit that brings hope to their lives. Watch Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. You notice already, as he did in Romans, he begins with thanksgiving. Making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Did you notice the specifics of that prayer? He prayed, he prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom. Revelation in the knowledge of him which comes through the word of God. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That they would really begin to see and know what is the hope of their calling in Christ. What, it, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance that he has for his saints. Because that's what fills your life with hope. And that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward those who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Wow, that's a prayer we don't often hear prayed, right? How about this one in Ephesians 3.14? For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the posture of prayer. I bow before the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that. Here's, here's how he's going to pray specifically. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Listen, if there's anything we need, we need that. We need the strength of God in the inner man through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That we would have that abiding fellowship with Jesus Christ through faith in our hearts. That you all being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Why? Why did he pray that way? So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's a powerful prayer, right? It's filled with specifics. All these prayers, Paul is asking God to do definite things in the lives of the believers there in Ephesus. So I want to counsel you this morning, don't take the scattershot approach in prayer. Take aim. Take aim at the center of the target. 
with every request. Don't, don't just, you know, buckshot, shoot a shotgun, just goes all over the place and hope something hits. Be definite in your prayers. Take aim at the center of the target. Granted, prayer, he tells us here in verse 30, is presented to the triune God. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. The triune Godhead. What we call the doctrine of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. It's beyond comprehension our comprehension, but it's not beyond our understanding what the Bible reveals about it. John Wesley said, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. Right? We'll never fully comprehend it. This is why the church wrestled so hard with it to, to formulate what they believed the scriptures taught about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are distinct from each other. They're, they are not the same person, but they are co-equal and co-eternal. They have the same substance and essence, but are distinct in subsistence. Norman Geisler, the apologist, says, while essence is what you are, person is who you are. So God is one. One in essence. But three whose persons. Now that is not tritheism. There's three distinct persons in the very nature of the one eternal God. And the divine essence is, is not something that exists. When we talk about the divine essence of God, the essence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is not something that exists or is separate from the three persons, like each separately, but the divine essence is the being of the three persons. You got that, right? Each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has all of the attributes of God. Each one has all the attributes of God. And no one person of the Trinity has any attributes that are not possessed by the others. They are fully God. Each one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. The same in substance and essence, but distinct in subsistence. In a sense, there's independent, not independent operations, but we see them working in definite ways. John 10.30, Jesus said, I, my, I and my Father are one. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses, they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. So they say, what this means is they're one in purpose. I am, no. What Jesus is saying is, I and my Father are one in essence. That's why it says in verse 31, then the Jews took up stones against him to stone him because they understood the claim that he was making. 
So we pray to God the Father. The Bible is filled with prayers to God the Father in both Testaments. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We pray to God the Father and we pray to God the Father on the basis of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the basis of our coming to God in prayer is the sonship of Jesus. He is the only begotten Son, and we are His sons by faith. So we share, we share this sonship in union with Him. And the acceptance then that He has with the Father is that, is the assurance that we are as accept, that we are accepted as, as adopted sons of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can, we can cry out to God. We can pray to God, Abba, Father. I explained it in class this morning. That's an Aramaic word, which means daddy. Daddy. It's that, it's that humbling and that simple. We come and recognize. Now, I don't, go, I don't re recommend that you go around calling father daddy. But that's the heart of it, really. I'm not going to say it's wrong if you do. But I remember Ray Vanderlaan one time saying in a trip to Israel, this hit home to him. I know I shared this with you before, but not all of you. And he and there was a little boy who was lost in a in a supermarket in in uh, in Israel somewhere. And he was wandering around. And he couldn't find his father. And he says, all of a sudden, he turned around the corner. And there the little boy saw his dad. And he's running. And he says, and he just ran with his arms out. And he just went, Abba, Abba, Abba. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's, that's me sometimes, right? That's you. Sometimes that's all we could say. Abba, I need help. Think of your children. Fanny Crosby wrote a song called Adopted. Let's find that sometime, okay? Oh, what a blessing. How can I express it out of the fullness of rapture I sing? Now by the Father received and adopted, I am a child and an heir of the King. I am adopted a wonderful love, heir to the heritage purchased above. Tell it, my soul, and joyfully sing, I am a child and an heir of the King. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So we come to the Father on the bare basis of the merits and the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 22.31, the Lord said, speaking to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That's literally what it means. King James has desired you. He's asked for you. Strange, isn't it? Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. This is my translation, that he may tear you apart and destroy you because he is a polyon, the destroyer. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Thank God for the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ in our behalf.
There is one God, Paul told Timothy, and one mediator between God and man. And this is very important. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. That man, that man was the God-man who walked the earth in human form just as we do, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who is tempted in all points, yet without sin, so he can present our requests and our needs perfectly before the throne of grace in heaven as our high, great high priest and intercessor and mediator, the only mediator. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, sometimes we're very unsympathetic people. You hear people talking about whatever it is, they're weak, and you know, you, you, you quietly sometimes say to yourself, too, you know, can't they just get over it? Can't you just get past this already? Everybody's got weaknesses. Let me tell you about mine. But you know what? The Lord's not like that. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize, which means enter into our feelings with our weaknesses. Listen, nobody knows exactly how you feel except Jesus. You don't know exactly how I feel. I don't know exactly how you feel when you're in your, your, your darkest moments. But thank God Jesus does. But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So on the basis of all of that, he says, let us therefore come boldly. That means with, with confidence to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because brothers and sisters, this is what we need. We need mercy. We need grace. We need help. And we really need help in the time of our greatest needs. And you never know when that time is coming. I mean, you could just, you could just be, you could be sailing along on the smooth sea of life and all of a sudden, a storm can come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you're tossed and you're turned. And you're crying out like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Care us not that we perish, Lord. And he, he, he intercedes. And he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And the storm is all of a sudden calmed. He rebuked the wind and the sea and, and, and they obeyed him. And Peter says, what kind of a man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then after he gets done rebuking the wind and the sea, and he was really rebuking Satan. He was rebuking Satan who had caused that storm at the sea as the disciples were headed into the land of the Gadareans where Jesus was going to cast out demons from people. After he rebuked them, he re rebuked the wind and the sea, he rebuked Satan, he rebuked the disciples. Right? For their lack of faith in him. Come boldly to the throne of grace. John Newton, behold the throne of grace, the promise calls me near. There Jesus shows a smiling face and waits to answer prayer. 
That dear atoning blood, which sprinkled round I see, provides for those who come to God in all prevailing plea. My soul, ask what thou wilt. Thou canst not be too bold, since his own blood for thee he spilt. What else will he withhold? We come to the Father on the merits of the Son of God, that blood that he shed for us. And we come and we pray in the love and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who is also God. God, the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.3, Peter says to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Verse 4, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to what? God. Very clear. Very clear that he lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Aren't you glad for that? Boy. You know, as you get older, your body gets weaker. And that's a fact of science. Right? I guarantee you, if you make it to 90, you're not going to be the same as you were at 35. You're going to be weak, but, but we can be spiritually strong in the inner man. The Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I mean, there is a time when you can go to, you can go to the end of, of yourself in prayer, humanly speaking, and the Spirit of God seems to, to take over, to take over. Now, he's been there all along. <laughs> he's been interceding and working with us together in prayer to God. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying always. This is what we are to do with all prayer and supplication. That means specifics. Praying Praying more general type of prayers, because we have to cover some of that ground. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. These are the specifics of prayer. Sometimes I, I, you know, I just pray for the church at large, right? And then I, there are many times I just pray for you by name. Because I know, I know some of the specifics of your life. And what you stand in need of. So we pray in the Spirit. This could be the love that the Spirit has for us, but it may also be speaking of the love produced in the church by the Spirit. It's actually both. One thing I know for sure is that whenever there is discord in church, it is not the work of the Spirit, it is the work of the flesh. That's an absolute fact of Scripture. Whenever you see division at work, it is not the Spirit of God who is working. It's the flesh. Now, the love the Romans had for Paul, which is a fruit of the Spirit in their lives, gave Paul great comfort and confidence in his prayers. And I, I would say it's a blessing to know, a wonderful blessing to know that people are praying for you, is it not? Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers for me. Thank you for your prayers for this church. 
And it's, it's a wonderful blessing to know that people are praying for you, not just with ordinary, casual prayers once in a while, but, but extraordinary, powerful, loving, spirit-directed prayer. That's what we need. And listen, prayer is not easy, right? You found that out, right? How easy it is to start praying and then have your mind wandering off to some relatively insignificant thing. How many times have you started praying and then just fell asleep? Or you, you started praying and and after a while, you, you, you're mumbling words, but you really don't even know what you're saying. You're not paying attention to your own words. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is striving. I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. The word is agonizomai, strive. We get our word agony from that. It's coupled with the word soon. It's a compound word of 13 letters. Soon agonizomai is the Greek word. And it means to contend with adversaries. To fight, and here's the last one I like, to endeavor with strenuous zeal to obtain something. That's what prayer is. You're endeavoring with strenuous zeal and passion to obtain something that you want from the Lord. Because he's the only one who can give it. You can come to me, maybe. Ask for some things, I can do some things, and we can do that for each other just like you can. But you can't do all things. There are some things you can't even do for your children as much as you love them. You can't do it. You can't, you can't make them well when they're sick. If they're really sick, you, you, you go, Abba, Father. It's all you could do. John 8.36 gives us an example of this word agonizomai. Jesus answered and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Tell that to some people. Think that they're going to usher it in. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would agonize. They would fight. It means to wrestle. Fight with a foe. So that I would not be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom now is not from here. It's coming, brothers and sisters, right? Pray to Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's coming. And we saw a glimpse of it in the life of Christ and the early church through the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit as the, un the, the kingdom of God was being manifested in that way. In, in, in power. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, Where unto I also labor. That's the word kopiao, and it means to grow tired from working. So if you want to know what Paul was like, here it is. I labored, striving, wrestling. That's our word agonize. Agonizomai, wrestling according to his mighty working. That's the Greek word energia. We get our word energy from this, which works in me mightily. That's the word dunamis, dynamite. 
That's an amazing verse. With all those different words. Paul is saying God supplies that we the spiritual energy we need to keep going and live for His glory by His dunamis, by His mighty power. You can't work yourself up into that kind of a state. You'll fall flat on your face if you try to do some great thing from God for God without the power of God. It doesn't work. We can't even keep from sinning without the power of God. You can't control your temper. You can't control your appetite. You're dependent upon God, whether you realize it or not. For the spiritual power, the desire to do the things that he would have you to do. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, always striving earnestly. Agonizomai, wrestling. Boy, a church, what a church if we had a church full of men like Epaphras. Always striving earnestly for you in his prayers. Now here's how Epaphras prayed. Oh, bless those Christians in Colossae. Know that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's a powerful prayer. That you would stand mature. That you would be complete in Christ. Lacking nothing that you need in the here and now. Until you're totally perfect and complete in the hereafter. And that you would be fully assured in the will of God. Genesis 32:22. after his encounter with Esau, Jacob arose that night and it says he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and he crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, sent them over to the brook and sent over what he had and he was left alone. Now he had already had one encounter, right? That was draining. And now he's left alone. Brothers and sisters, there are times when you'll look to your right and no one will be there and you'll look to your left and you'll no one will be there and no one will be in front of you and no one's coming up behind you to tap you on the shoulders. You will be left alone. It's you and God. And Jacob was left alone, but he was not alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against them, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, the man wrestling with Jacob, said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. You ever pray like that? God, I'm going to keep coming. I am not going to go away. I am not going to let go until you bless me. 
And Jacob was given the name Yisrael. Israel, because you have struggled with God and have overcome. And that name means he who prevails with God or may God prevail, depending on the context. Listen, the greatest need of God today, the greatest need in the church today, is for men and women who know how to prevail in prayer. The greatest need in the church today is men and women of prevailing prayer. We don't need, we don't need great speakers. We don't need great givers. We don't need all of the stuff that people tell you the church needs today. We have a God who can do anything and everything but fail. We need men and women to go boldly before the throne of His grace and say, I'm not going away unless you bless me. Particulars of prayer. He prays for rescue from his unsafe countrymen, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Those were, those, those were people, the Jews, who were disobedient to the gospel. The Jews in Judea, Jerusalem, saw Paul as an apostate, a troublemaker, and, and, and a rebel who was teaching contrary to the law of Moses. Acts 1, 21, 28, men of Israel, help. This is the man, they were saying, who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law and his place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place when he went to Jerusalem. So there was a crowd that took Paul there from the temple grounds in Jerusalem, and they began to beat him to death. And the city was in an uproar. And, and the Romans, the one thing the Romans didn't like was an uproar. They wanted peace. So they didn't like what was going on. So they arrested Paul. They took him with two chains. And they, and they took him back to the soldiers' barracks to interrogate him. Well, they wanted to stamp out the unrest there that was caused because of Paul going into the temple as he did. So this prayer was answered. God did keep Paul alive. And you know, some, sometimes the safest place for Paul was in protective custody. Right? If you know his story, sometimes that was the best place for him. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. Now, the next day, the Roman commander brings him before the Jewish Sanhedrin. They wanted to understand the issues. But while Paul was in custody there in Jerusalem, you can read this in Acts 21, he gets word that some of the Jews were conspiring to, to kill him, to assassinate him. But the, Paul, the plot was discovered by one of Paul's relatives who warned the Roman commander. So guess what he did? And in answer, delivering him from, from these men who wanted him killed, this Roman commander had Paul taken by night under heavy guard to Caesarea where his confinement continued. And that guard consisted of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200, 200 spearmen. That's an answer to prayer. Right? Here's a little picture there of the grounds right there. This is Caesarea Philippi. I don't know if you went there, Dave, when you were there. But this, this little plaque here marks the spot where they believe Paul was held. 
and it really wasn't an underground prison or anything like that. It was probably the fortress that Herod had built there, and very possibly maybe even the tent of the Roman commander. We, we don't really know, but it's in that location right there where Paul was held. He was in a jail in Philippi. He was in a jail in Rome. He ended up dying in Rome, the Bible according to tradition. He was held in the, in the, the darkest dungeon that you could ever imagine in Rome. So he knew what it was like to suffer for the Lord, but he also knew what it was like for God to deliver him. And then he's, Paul prayed that his offering for the saints would be received. Verse 31b, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now his service was the offering that he was bringing from the churches in Macedonia and Acacia. He did not want the believing Jews to be suspicious of his motives. And an acceptance of that gift would forge a bond between them. A rejection of that gift would be tantamount to viewing him with suspicion, possibly as an enemy, possibly as someone who could not be trusted. So listen, when someone wants to do something good for you, let them do it, right? Don't judge their motives. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but we also need to welcome genuine demonstrations of love and concern from other people. And it could be just something simple. It doesn't have to be something big. And actually, when Paul took this offering, as we said last week, he was fulfilling a prior commitment that he had made for the poor in Jerusalem. And then finally, Paul prayed that he would come, he would come rejoicing to Rome, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be fresh together with you. Emphasis by the will of God. John Stott said this, the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. The promise that our prayers will be answered is conditional on our asking according to his will. 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. James 5.13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Great plan. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will, we will live to do this or that. But now you're boasting in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Listen, the Bible does not forbid careful planning. It encourages it. But God can change our plans, right? If he so wills, for a greater good that would bring glory to him. So he's always in the driver's seat, so to speak, right? Now, prayer and the will of God. That opens up all kinds of questions. I've had people tell me, you wouldn't believe what they've told me as to how they found out the will of God for them. And I listen and I'll usually say, God did not tell you that. Because it was contrary to his word. So, I'm going to do a little little spin-off series on this, on the will of God. And I think that'll be good, right? 
But he prayed that the church of Rome would come to fully experience the peace of God. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what do we sing? What do we sing? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's peace. Peace is not the absence of suffering. It's the presence of God. It's the Hebrew idea of shalom, wholeness, wholeness. It comes from a close relationship with the Lord that has weathered many storms in life. Isaiah 26, 3 says, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And sometimes we stop at that verse right there. But the next verse says, trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Everlasting strength. Paul, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which is, passes all under man, will guard your hearts and minds, will keep your thoughts under control. Through Jesus Christ. So we usually stop there too. But if you read a little further, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Fill your mind with these kind of things. The things which you have learned from God's word and received from someone, in this case Paul, and heard and saw in me by example in the lives of others, these do, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just some magic, mystical type of a feeling that you're going to have. It's taking the word of God, hiding it in your heart, remembering the things that you have been, you have heard and you have received and you have seen in me do and in the lives of other godly Christians do and emulate those things while you are taking your prayers to the throne of God's grace and your mind is fixed on him, not on everything else. Sometimes I wonder, how can we have, we, I see so many Christians so disturbed about the politics. It's horrible, right? Everything's twisted. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Up is down and down is up. 
It's a crazy mixed up world. And if you dwell on that, you will not have peace. I can guarantee you. You will not have peace. But if you fill your mind with the things that are mentioned here and say, Lord, no matter what's happening out there. I'm going to do what you would have me to do. I want to serve you. I want to glorify you with my life. And if you go to scripture and you're grounded in the word of God, you will have peace. Example. Paul. His life is a testimony that no, no matter what chaos is going on around us, and even if it comes against us, we can have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Yes. Father, thank you for your peace. Lord, help us to take this to heart. To just, just go forward trusting you. Lord Jehovah, you are our strength. You are our rock. You are our shield. You are our fortress. You are a very present help in time of trouble. You are our comforter. You are our friend. You are our helper. You are all we need. May we, may we trust in you and you alone. Fill our hearts and minds with that peace of Christ that passes all understanding. In his name I pray. Amen.